But Benef One is sponsored by absolutely no one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a bottle that you should Photoshop. Flip it up one. Absolute no one. <laughs> absolute no one. Yes. <laughs> All absolute corrupts, but absolute corrupts no one. <laughs> Welcome back to Flippin' F1, where four fanboys fire up about F1. As always, I'm your host, Utmost. Randy, we're joined by the professor. How you doing, bye? I'm happy to be here. I've gotten over last week. Oh, I don't think so. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Until everyone starts talking about it, exactly. then I'll be back in form. Don't e- worry, guys. Exactly. Our technical director, Gareth, with us to talk to us about all those things that we just don't have the time to research. And neither do I right now. So it's great. Fantastic, Randy. <laughs> Pleased to be here with you all. Cheers. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, the view from the passenger side. Spence, how you doing, bye? Good, Randy. Finally uh, got myself peeled down off the ceiling after that race last week. Wow. <laughs> what the heck, <laughs> man? The circus found itself all the way over in Italy where we saw ourselves in Monza. Always a classic race, although can be sometimes professional. But this was something else. Holy jeez. Let's get into it with the usual questions. Phil, tell us a little bit about the history of this track. What's special about Monza? Why do drivers love this track? Why is it so good for <laughs> F1? Well, I mean, it's an old track one of the the original ones as well it uh, is fast that's one of the neat things about it and you know the bad part is very few usually overtaking opportunities really the best place to overtake is corner one we'll talk about what happened there later nothing Uh, happened in corner one phil i don't know what you're talking about uh, exactly exactly corner (laughs) one into corner two there you go but no it's a fantastic circuit it has a lot of history about it you know corners that they've just recently one corner named it just recently changed from the parabolica to the alberta corner and so yeah it, it's got a history about it everyone loves it it's tight it's twisty at times some tight turns there so yeah yeah well, let's let's talk about some of the, those curves they call them they're not corners but they're curves those curves no, right okay. like tell me a little bit more about parabolica because i that has always been a really interesting curve yeah i mean uh, i don't know the full history about that one, to be honest with you. But it's an awesome, about 180-degree corner. Not quite yeah. banked, but it is almost banked. And uh, you carry your speed going into it and then sort of accelerate out of it nicely. If you're Lando Norris, you like to use a little bit extra track to get a straighter line down the pit straight and get more speed. Yeah, I mean, it's what? You're in, what, seventh gear when you're going through Parabolica and coming out just full four? starting out to seventh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty wild, right? You know, you're looking at, what, 200 and 210, 220 probably, kilometers an hour? Yeah, yeah, you're probably going into the corner about 200 kilometers an hour. Yeah. You're coming out of it easily at, uh, at probably 240, 250. Wow. That's that's wild. What about Lesmo? This is an interesting one, because Lesmo's blind, if I remember right. Is it not? There are two corners, six and seven. And yeah, they're blind corners. Seven is actually close to a 90 degree. Six is a little bit more angled on it. But yeah, your blind corners going in, uh, you really don't have a line of sight for where you're coming out of. And it makes for some fun times on that one, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, right? Like the track looks basically like the shoey that uh, Daniel drank out of. I mean, if you look at that, which is interesting, right? Because you would think it's perfect for overtaking, right? You know, with all its straight lines and I mean, it's got some high speed corners, but mainly lots of long straightaways and things like that. Like why does Monza end up being such a processional race? This goes back to the current aero regs that hopefully will change with next year's 2022 cars. Cars are going so fast and disrupting so much air that it's actually very hard to closely follow and very hard to get in position to pass 
kind of save and accept, as Phil said, the first corner, first second corner complex at the end of the uh, front straight. And you get stuck in what uh, is known as a DRS train where everybody's just following each other. You got your DRS flaps open when those are allowed. And you really, really can't get close to or any closer to anybody and get around past them. Just too yeah. bad because we've got this beautiful high-speed track here. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so that's a lot about the track, Spence. You know I'm going to ask it because I ask you every podcast. Tell us a little bit more about the area around Monza. Like, what's special about the area? Don't worry, Randy. About five minutes ago, I cracked open a map just to make sure I knew where this was. <laughs> and we are in the northern part of Italy, very close to the Swiss border. It looks like the track is around the outskirts of Milan, which is kind of the commercial hub of Italy. Indeed, the potentially the industrial and automotive hub of Italy. Sure, yeah. So a lot of a lot of the big Italian businesses, fashion houses, automobile manufacturers, things like that that we would know in other places in the world are all kind of based here. And I believe the folks at Alpha Tower are also based here as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Professor, I'm going to go back to you for a second because this is one you should need to research for. What is your favorite Monza memory? One of those races that have just stuck with you over the years? You know, actually, it's last year's. I think it was seeing Pierre Gasly win his first Grand Prix at Monza and able to hold on to that. That was my special moment for sure. Nice. That's a good one. All right, let's get into it. Bingo! It's time for everybody's favorite game, the one we play every time we do this podcast, Box, 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 Bingo, where we make our usually poorly informed but very abundant predictions, and all the points don't matter because they're all going to Gareth anyway. So let's see how we did in the first box. So grid, and we'll talk about this. This was one of those fun ones, right, where it was a grid and then a sprint race, and the sprint race, you know, set up the grid for the race when we'll talk about sprint racing because it just drives me nuts, and I imagine with you guys... It does the same. So, how'd you guys do in box one, the predicted top five for your grids? Spence? I did okay, Randy. I had four of the five guys. I had Hamilton, both Verstappen and Norris. I was thinking that we'd have a little bit more from Aston Martin. That was probably why I had Vettel in there. That was definitely before I realized they didn't have any kind of Monza spec package that they were putting on the car this year and they were going to just mail it in. But uh, <laughs> four out of five, that's not so bad. Yeah, that's not so bad. Gareth? Three out of five. I did not see, because of course we posted these uh, what after FP1, and I did yeah. not see McLaren coming through like they did. So I figured, you know, Perez was going to have a good race, or sorry, a good sprint race qualifying, pardon me, and yeah. he did not. Where did he end up? He ended up ninth, not fifth or fourth. And then Pierre Gasly was going to have a great qualifying as well. And he got six. I got, I got kind of close, but not as close as some other folks. Didn't see the McLarens. Good half points. Professor? I mean, I'm with these guys. I didn't see the McLaren successes in the, that they were having on that one. I thought I was with Spencer. I thought that Aston Martin was going to do a little bit better. And I had Vettel in my top five. I had Gasly in as well. And both of those obviously didn't make the top five. So I got three out of the five. Yeah, I got four out of five myself. I honestly thought Leclerc was going to do a whole lot better after last year, uh, it being his home track and just clearly did not manifest the way. And I always hope for Danny Rick, but just did not see that coming through this time around. But wow, that was really something. I mean, that was really great. And so then we ended up in the sprint race. Let's just talk about that. That was weirdly fun, even though I really hate that it sets up the grid for Sunday. And then we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like, yes. yeah, big starts and then a whole lot of boringness after. So, Professor, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy the sprint races, unlike you. Uh, I, I do 
enjoy the activity that happens, the fact that we get uh, slightly different results. You know, they're a little bit processional. I don't think there's anything you can do about that. Nobody's putting their neck out in the middle of a essentially a sprint race rather than the actual race itself. So it's not as competitive, I guess you could say. But no, I really do enjoy the sprint races. That said, you know, I had three out of the top five on that as well. So I did have Norris doing better for McLaren, but uh, Gasly certainly missed the mark as well. Yeah, that's fair enough. Spence? Well, I nailed the top five. I had uh, the top five finishers, didn't have them in order. What I will say, and what I'm going to use to claim all the points from this box is, I'm the only one who had Valbot in first place in our group. So. Uh, that's true. You were. Yeah, fair enough. I was going to say, similar to Spence, I, I had everybody just not quite in the right order. figured that Hamilton, I, I don't know, we can talk about what Lewis Hamilton was or wasn't doing this race, but he just didn't kind of show up. Like, he just nope. laid back in fifth in the sprint race and could not move forward, got bested by four other people. Yeah, well, and I mean, Norris with the elbows out, right? Like, it was right there. It, it looked like he was trying. I don't know if he was or not, but it looked like he was trying to push it, unless he was just trying to make Norris look good. I mean... I think it just goes to the fundamentals that the Mercedes is not good behind in traffic. It never has been. Unless they're in front, they don't seem to do well. They struggle to pass. They always have. I did all right. I think I'm taking full points for this. I think I got my top five nailed, even though I also didn't get them in order, but... I still had him there. I mean, that leads us to box three, where I had Danny Rick in third. I think so did you, Gareth. Danny Rick beating Lando Norris, and we we both got that, or I got that. You didn't. Yeah, I did. The green's me, man. <laughs> the green is you. Sorry, the green with goofy writing is you. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah, we've only we, been yeah. using these colors for the last three months, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Slow learning curve, Spence. Slow learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a racing driver doesn't look in their mirrors, I don't look at the colors of other people. I'm the only one important here. But I think you and I <laughs> both thought that, alone. <laughs> that Hamilton and Verstappen <laughs> would win this race or come first or second. And it turns out they did not. They did not. They really did not. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Like, What did you guys expect Valbot to do in this race? Right? Because I knew he was going to cut through stuff. But I did not think he was coming back into the top five. No, I absolutely not. Like, I thought that he would storm through kind of the bottom half of the midfield without any problems, but like he just hasn't really shown that overtaking ability this year, right, that we've seen from him sometimes in the past. And certainly that Lewis is capable of in that same car. But you know what? He drove the nuts off it. He did really well. Bottas 43.7 showed up. Right? It was something to behold. Like he was just tearing up things, getting the most out of that car. It was a message, to be sure. It was also just enjoyable racing, because that's quite literally why we're here. Yeah, for sure. It was enjoyable racing to watch him have that fight and come through. Which was wildly unpredictable, but let's get into what was supposed to be predictable. So you had Mopey Lewis, Gareth. And I, I feel like Lewis was Mopey. Yeah. I'm sure we heard some radio where he whined about tires. And he really was in the press conferences. Mopey Lewis shows up when things don't go his way and he looks a little bit like sad puppy dog, if I can say that. And he does that on a weekend and it kind of continues in lesser until he wins. And he's like, we overcame the longest odds in the world and blah, blah, blah. Thanks, God. <laughs> he sounded a little bit mopey in some of those post-race press conferences. So yeah, I'll take full points for that. He showed up. I can't remember. Did the Haas come together in this race? I think they did, they actually. Sure did. They sure did. Got they their did. takes a nap. Yep. I'm taking full points for that one. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's, uh, God, what is going on with Haas? And 
Yeah, I'm taking the spin marker points, of course, as well, because that also happened at least once during the weekend. So, Hey, Phil got a point, finally. Yeah, there we go. Phil got on the board. For a weekend I almost missed, yes. I know. Yes. Uh, we can talk about that in a little bit. And so what about you, uh, Spence? You had Perez stuck behind Italian Jeebus. Yeah, you know what? I really <laughs> thought that we were going to have like kind of the traditional Monza race for the last couple of years where everything is a big DRS train, tough to overtake. Turned out it wasn't like that this year at all. Perez drove a great race, got by Giovinazzi pretty early on, and definitely passed both of those Ferraris, although he ended up giving one of those spots back to Leclerc anyway at the end. And another great drive from him, you know. But it's a great drive that they only had to have because he started so low. Well, that's right. Yeah, like he keeps showing this race pace, but yet the quality pace is just not there. Got to be frustrating for him. Hopefully he can look to improve that the second year at Red Bull, and I got to think if he doesn't, it'll be his last. Yeah, well, we'll, yeah. See. we'll see what happens. And so you called two safety cars. I know we got one for sure. Are we, gonna, are we giving you two oh, for the weekend? We had two. We had two. We had a VSC early on when the driver that, that Crofty kept trying to call. A VSC is not a safety car, my good man. It's a virtual safety car. We yeah, can beat uh, all the technicality. Uh, a virtual safety car is not a safety car, Andrew Spencer. It's a virtual safety car. Well, it's a form of safety car, I believe. It's there a separate, distinct form of that. safety car that's used in different circumstances. No, but there are virtual safety cars and there are actual safety cars. All of and them officially, are. Officially, that's our and they're two separate audience members <laughs> leaving us now. <laughs> Full points, boys. Full points. As the lawyers <laughs> hack it out on what constitutes a safety car. The rest of us fans don't really care. It's a safety car. <laughs> it's not a safety car. It's, it's, safety it's car. flags. It's and just flags. Flags. It slows it's, them it, down. They have to meet a certain criteria. It slows them down. It ends as a safety car. It's like any time any of us have gone go-karting at one of the indoor go-karting places, they hit the button because we hit each other too many times, then we slow down for a few laps. Yeah, yeah. It's an electronic nanny, effectively. Like, I, I would give Randy points for the one safety car prediction that he made. Perfect. We're not going to settle this one tonight, I don't think, guys. I don't know, no, man. No, I'm, no. I'm taking these points. Because I also had Lewis on medium to soft. He went medium to hard, which was kind of an interesting turn on things. I didn't really see that coming, especially at Monza, right? I thought, you know, I was not seeing that at all. I thought the mediums were going to be great on this car, especially on this track. And they were for a bit. Like, but everybody else was on hearts and had a whole bit here. But yeah, I think the mediums really showed up again. I, I still trust that when the mediums are actually softs at every other track. Yeah. Speaking of softs, I predicted that some people would take some inspiration from the sprint race and say, you know, we can start on softs because yeah. we can get those softs with a great start to like, you know, 18-ish laps, do a one-stop or go into a hard strat. And nobody did. Yeah, no. At all. Nope, I don't think so. All right, boys, tell me about your open predictions. What went well, what didn't? So I win. I win this game. I win this game for weeks because I predicted McLaren win. There you go. They looked on yep. pace, and I think we are all cheering whether we have any kind of you know, Red Bull versus Mercedes affiliation or, or cheering here. We all want to see everybody else win too. And McLaren just, they showed up. They were on point. It's the culmination of really four years of hard work by that team. They friggin' dominated. It was fantastic. Is that a better call than seeing what I did, which is the first chicane takes out two plus runners, which ended up being probably the most consequential thing in the whole race. I mean, Lewis and Max going out there. I mean, that is. If you name those two plus runners in the circumstance, then. I don't think you have to, do you? We don't specify that in the rules, do we, Gareth? No. 
Well, we're making up the rules as we go along. So, (laughs) I mean, good good call, Spence. But we were all happy to see McLaren win. And uh, on the flip side of that, I also predicted strong points for uh, Giovinizzi. And that Italian Jesus was going to get some points and we were going to be on the beads for that one. Term I learned in Newfoundland. And of course, that didn't happen at all. And now he's probably out of a race seat because he binned it on the first lap there with some assistance. So too bad. He was looking so racy. I think he qualified seventh for the race. Memory serves. Yeah, he was very racy all weekend, actually. And it's just unfortunate he got uh, tags going around that corner four or five. I think it was four. Yeah. Sorry, he, he finished the sprint race in eighth. That's right. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I'm keeping my points for Ocon cracking the top 10 because nobody saw that coming, but I got it. And I'm pretty sure know. Yuki did basically take out Gasly, didn't he? They they had it coming together, did they not? Yeah, I thought they had it coming together and then it caused something and then that ended up being Gasly going off. I'm taking those points anyways. I mean, Yuki didn't even start the race. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He was that's DNF, it. so I don't, I don't know yeah. about that. And Gasly had it was technical problems built from the accident ah. on the sprint race. And yeah, and Gasly's a DNF. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Give me something, man. Damn it. <laughs> no, no. I don't get anything, Randy. Neither do you. But Randy, you also predicted that the old man club of Vettel Alonso would spoil Ferrari's day, and I'm just looking that at the results here. That clearly did not and... happen at all. That's uh. No. Yeah. Not even close. But still, we're giving Phil negative 300 points for not filling out the boxes. So I'm taking second place and run with it. I'm happy to be your Norris to Ricardo, which I'm so stoked about, man. It was so good to see Ricardo come back and win a race. How good was that? See the shoey back up on the podium? I think we can all do without the shoey, but the fact that Ricardo did well, I think that's the important thing. I can't believe nobody from F1's COVID safety department was running around uh, up there on the podium being like, don't do the shoey. You can't do a shoey. I thought it was hilarious. I don't think you get COVID from the feet. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you can't get COVID <laughs> Other things, maybe, but, you know. They were sharing a cup. You know, Nicki Minaj's cousin got COVID from sitting on a toilet. Let's not perpetuate any such stupid myths. I know. I don't know, I know who exactly. or what you're talking about, Randy. No, so it's it's all right. Our audience will, because they're all pop culture savvy, <laughs> and we know that's all good. That's one of those things. But yeah, no, I was actually happy to see the shoot. It was fun to see Lando do it. It was hilarious to see Valbot avoid it again. Holy jeez. <laughs> He's not in defeat. Clearly not. That's a fair way of looking at it. Clearly, he's somebody who doesn't want to drink out of somebody else's shoe that's already been drunk out of by other people, which, in oh, fairness, funny. I completely sympathize. And had race feet in it for the last two and a half hours. Yeah. I cannot blame him. All right. Well, that's another box, box, box bingo. Of course, Garrett takes it all, but we will put up an empty box on our Twitter at, at FlippinF1. Fill out your box, send it to us. We'd love to see what you come up with, and maybe we'll read some of your predictions on the cast next time. Yeah. Please fill a box for us. There it is. <laughs> that's another episode of Box, Box, Box Bingo. What'd you do, So let's get into this, man. I'm going to kick it off by saying for me, the radio has been boring as hell i don't know if we jinxed it or something like that but i haven't heard fun radio calls since i don't know like four or five races ago now i don't know what you guys are feeling i think they've all decided to calm down yeah they're all tired mid-season and the last good radio called i think that we heard was uh, lewis hamilton talking about bathrooms and poop yeah there's only so many times you can hear the what the is this guy doing right which seems to be the most common what radio is this call. idiot doing <laughs> And that's usually directed at Mazepin, so, yeah. you know. Although Yuki Tsunoda <laughs> will drop that against 
absolutely anybody who is near him. Anything that moves, in fact. Yeah, I think there was one of those Yuki, maybe it was from the sprint race or like one of the free practices that was just like, oh, keep it in your pants, kiddo. <laughs> he, he just, he, we went off, maybe it was Robert Kubica. I, it was just like, really? Really? We don't need this. Yeah, and that's something we're talking about, right? Kubica actually did all right this weekend. I mean, it wasn't great, but, you know, he still finished ahead of the Haas, which is, you know, what you want to do if you're sitting in the Williams. Hard to finish behind the Haas, and he's not in the Williams, and he's an Alfa Romeo. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is fair. This is fair. He did finish behind an Alfa. Oh, and, and by the way, George Russell scored points this week, and none of us were ecstatic because we're like, well, why aren't you on the podium, George? Well, it's because he's going to Mercedes. Yeah. You know? The expectations are now there. It's also what the four races he's scored points. Like, it seems like it's becoming a bit more of a normal thing. Granted, we have had some fairly strange races in the last little while, but good for him. I think you're seeing both like the maturation of him as a driver and also the fact that that Williams package is much, much better than where it was, say, earlier this year or last year. Mm -hmm. I'm far more pissed off about George losing his Mr. Saturday streak because of the sprint race instead of quality counting for what quality should have counted for. But that's just me. I don't know. Is that why you don't like the sprint race, Randy? Just because George didn't keep his Saturday streak? You know how he sets my heart to flutter, Phil. Like, oh, my Come gosh. on, man. Like, no. <laughs> I, for one, am happy that that streak is done. I cannot listen to the guys at Sky go on about oh. him being Mr. Saturday, never having been <laughs> out-qualified by a teammate. By teammate. Oh, my God. And you it's know like, the next race, they are going to bring that up, and then they're going to say, well, there was a sprint race, but in qualifying, qualifying, you know, qualified. Yeah. Shut up, David Croft, for once. <laughs> hey, it's the ultimate patriotism that the British commentators have. You know, we yeah, seem yeah. to favor our own and dispel everybody else. Wait, you're British? Have another drink, Gareth. I'm going to ask that when we actually start talking about the incident, but we'll go from there. <laughs> in, in terms of radio, I've, I've got two quick comments. One is to Andrew. You put up a post note about Leclerc with a secret end FP2. What was right. that about? What is that about? It, yeah, so it turns out that Charles was not feeling so hot this weekend. And he had an early exit of the second free practice session. And when he told his team he was coming into the box, they were inquiring as to why. And he said, I don't want to tell you on the radio. And <laughs> when you kind of look at the transcripts of his interviews after the fact, it seems like he was probably about to be caught short. Maybe a little bit of gastro, maybe a little bit of the explosive diarrhea. We're not really sure, but it seemed like he was in a pretty bad way. The Italian olive oil wasn't agreeing with him. Yeah, yeah. The, the local olive oil wasn't agreeing. So anyway, he, he still had a pretty good weekend, all things considered. But I'm sure he was happy to get you know, back to uh, to Monaco. Yeah, Twitter was having a field day with that. That was brilliant. <laughs> and then, yeah, Stacks, you talked about comments on the age of the fans. Whoop. Yeah, uh, so this has come up because I think you all know I do love Ted Kravitz. He is my version of George Russell for you, Randy. Yeah, of course. So I, I love watching the notebook that he does after every session. And then I also you know, listened, I think it was the F1 podcast with like Damon Hill, Natalie Pinkham. Yep. And... One of Ted's notebooks and that F1 podcast, Ted said it and Damon said it. We're seeing way younger fans now. They are seeing fans, especially even fans who maybe don't have the ability to buy a ticket. But there's F1 fans. They're waiting either outside the venue usually, and they're like mid-teens, late teen, early 20s, kind of the, let's call it the Netflix generation. 
But they both made comments. Ted made the comment about being at Zandvoort and seeing them queued up outside of the gates for autographs. Damon Hill said the same thing about at Monza. And I just thought kind of from a future of the sport perspective, that's fantastic. That's fantastic to see because we're old now, the young generation interested, involved and engaged in the sport, which is absolutely fantastic. It is. It's the hype, though, from from younger drivers, too, though. I mean, it's yeah, the fact well, that you've it, got exactly. younger drivers doing well, like Verstappen and Gasly and Leclerc. And, yeah. Well, they're, they're engaging with the younger savvy, demographic so through yeah. the TikToks and the Instagrams that the kids like. And I think it's fantastic. And I hope that those you know, younger fans, like they get into the sport and like all of us do, you start learning a little bit about the history of the sport. And you're like, holy crap, there's all sorts of other cool stuff here, too but that you just become a fan of the sport and continue with it. So it came up in two, in two distinct commentaries that I heard this week and thought that's fantastic. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the TikTokogram? I want to hear about this because I don't know what this is. You'll have to log into your MySpace account and see what I posted. <laughs> oh, man. Can I get that on IOL? <laughs> ICQ432242. Right, right. Okay. Wow. As long as my mom doesn't pick up the phone, we'll be all right. So, <laughs> And there goes everyone listening, born before the year 1995. I know, but my dad is having a good laugh right now. All right. Yeah. Stacks, the curbs. You've got a comment about the curbs. On, that's actually under... me. So, sorry, that's the professor. Remember the time that somebody bitched at me about not knowing the colors of our things? I, I feel like that was Phil. Although, yeah. Phil, you claim to be British. You spelled curbs with a C. Please tell us what's going on there. Yeah, you know, I have no idea what's going on with my spelling. Let's just go with the fact that that's just for us. Nobody needs to know that I'm having dyslexia moments today. No, my, you know, my point, and then, you know, obviously I think this leads into, if we're not careful, we're going to lead into that corner accident on the corner one and two. But that's where my comments about the curbs goes in, Randy. They're really fierce on that track and they tend to bite. We've seen this year after year after year. And my point is really that, you know, maybe F1 should be looking at that a little bit because... They do bite the cars. They do damage the cars as the cars hit them quite often. Yeah, and I, I think now that we've seen that they can also launch a car on top of another car, launch. that might be the catalyst. As we've seen through some, I think, FIA radio between Michael Massey and, I want to say, Mercedes-Benz. Michael Massey doesn't care that you just did $60,000 of damage to your car, but Michael no. Massey and the FIA will care that it launched a car into another car. Wow. So let's talk about that incident, right? Verstappen was so impressed with the car hat that he saw at Zendurt that he actually tried to try it out on Lewis, apparently. And so, of course, they came together after a couple crazy things. Phil, just take us through the story as objectively as you can before we get into the commentary. Just to act as a precursor, our legal friends on this call will clearly state that there's no objectivity in my voice and I'm going to be off the facts and giving too much opinion. But I thought I'd get that disclaimer out of the way before they ring into me for it. It's never even needed with you. (laughs) It all started actually with uh, Verstappen's pit stop, which was 11 seconds sitting stops in the pits. They had a little bit of a a technical glitch. They seemed to be blaming it on the new and improved uh, systems that are there. And uh, that put him massively out of sync from where he was supposed to be. So when Hamilton, who was putting in some pretty good laps at that point, came into the pits, he was launched pretty much ahead of Verstappen, right? Ultimately, what led to it was they were going into corner one. Verstappen was on race pace, certainly coming down the straight at full speed. Hamilton was getting up to speed still, and Hamilton was ahead. Verstappen felt that he should have had the corner because he was on the racing line. At that point, the racing line is 
Moot. Whoever's in front, to be honest. And they try to go around the corner together. Incidentally, if you look back and Jolyn Palmer on the F1 review on his YouTube did a good review of this. There's a, a corner one incident between uh, Giovinazzi and Leclerc that mimics this a little bit in many senses in terms of how close they were and everything like that. Only difference is no car got launched into the air. Hamilton didn't give way. He didn't really pull out of the corner. He kept to his racing line. And Verstappen felt that there was a bit more room there that should have been a bit more of a gap. Hit the curb and uh, it launched the car. And the rest, as they say, is history. Took both of them out into the gravel trap. So fortunately, the halo's in effect because that saved Hamilton's life for sure. But certainly not the best of situations for either of them. But ultimately, objectively, whether it was a racing incident or who was at fault, was left to the stewards and the stewards decided that Verstappen was more to blame than Hamilton. Yeah. and therefore got a three-place grid penalty on the next race. All right, well, we'll talk about that during the uh, the Sewer Steward and penalty props. But, yeah, I mean, this was one of the scarier incidents that I've seen this year, right? Like, to me, like, seeing a car literally on top of him, that wheel literally came down his helmet. And, you know, it looked like it was in gear for a little bit before I think it came off gear. And you could see, like, I mean, that, that car was on top. It rolled down the halo. If the halo wasn't there, I agree with you, Phil. I mean, I think Hamilton... If it's not fatal, then he's definitely pretty damaged, right? Like, if that thing goes off without the halo, like, which is, is wild. I mean, there's nothing there that saves him but that piece of engineering. So let's talk about this, man. Like, this is one of those incidents where, again, and I'll, I'll tell you, on the text, like, when I saw it, I was like, what the hell? But to me, it was a racing incident. So Were you in the bathroom when this happened? I literally just stepped away <laughs> to number one and... <laughs> got back was like we're having way too many conversations about that guy (laughs) this is the bathroom podcast formula one bathroom podcast that's all right Uh, we still haven't even gotten to the flush sound yet for the penalty props and serious stewards but you know eric do what you will with that but yeah i I stepped back and and then i watched the replays of this a couple times because i was like i honestly was like okay nothing's gonna happen i walk out you know there's a slow stop and this shunt has happened was like what the two slow stops Two slow stop. Yeah. No, I saw the first slow stop. I'm like, okay, that's going to be fine. Not expecting the second slow stop. And let's talk about that because I think a lot of what's been introduced in the conversation is is if Lewis doesn't have a slow stop, if definitely if Verstappen doesn't have a small stop, this thing doesn't happen. And that's the FIA's whole kind of crack. The pit stops are too fast. People are getting injured. So we're going to pull back some of the technology that you are using to signal, like basically the machines are signaling each other, like the guns are signaling to the like stop lights effectively that you know they're done and the wheels are torqued and that's how you're getting these like sub two second pit stops and as i understand it now the mechanics actually have to put the nut on and then click a button to say i've done the thing and for some reason didn't happen in the red bull stop red bull kind of debrief that and that's why it took so long there's some confusion i think for the mechanic about whether or not that mechanic had you know, put it on and done the thing and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, we're blaming the FIA. And I yeah. think something similar happened in the Mercedes-Benz pit stop as well. But that DMB pit stop, Phil, if I remember, it was about four seconds. It was four and a half seconds, yeah. It was about a second longer than it should have been. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah. I like that take, Gareth, that this is the FIA's fault. We can put the tinfoil hats on now and be like, yeah, this is all about creating close racing and setting it up for a big race and at the end of the year in the Middle East. Exactly. And the FIA isn't even the commercial rights holder, so they don't even care if the racing's fun. But that is what precipitated this. But what you had is two drivers, neither of whom wanted to give way. And the entire point of racing is 
not to take each other out every time you try to go past each other. And that's what the problem here is. Yeah, but I think that's also what brings it back to the curbs conversation. If that had been pretty much any other circuit there, like the car would not have hit that curb. They would have run into each other and taken each other out. They just wouldn't have parked on top of each other. They would have touched wheels. All right, so tell me the difference. Again, right, remember a lot of our fans have come from Drive to Survive. So tell me the difference between a sausage curb and a normal curb, because I think that's new language, and I don't know that somebody new to F1 or, or recent to F1 really knows what that means. Hell, I don't know. Spence, do you know what that means? Yeah, I think so, Randy. I mean, like the normal curbs are the ones that you see on the, the corners and turns throughout most racetracks. The sausage curbs, I assume, are probably made out of some kind of concrete or hard composite, and they're elevated, right? Yeah. So when a car goes over them, you'll see like an actual tilt of the car to one side as those wheels are getting up on it, and it makes it uneven, unbalanced, all that kind of stuff, right? So I think what happened with Max here is he went in sideways into this thing, and because he was carrying enough momentum, he just bounced back off it into the racing line of Lewis. Yeah, it's an application of Newton's third, for sure. And then he went up over the wheel and got on top of the car. Yeah, there, I'm sitting here looking at alleyway in Toronto. We actually have versions of those in this alleyway as traffic calming measures. They're like hard rubber. They're bolted to the concrete. Yeah, but at Monza, the curb that he actually hit wasn't the actual sausage curb that is to stop you from driving that straight line through the corner there. It's actually an orange curb on top of the actual curb itself. The cement No, I curb. thought those were also called sausage curbs as well, in addition. They might be, but just for distinction, just for purposes, they're not actually the composite curb. From what my understanding is, I haven't been to Monza, but from when I've researched the track, the, the curbs there are actually cement or tar or whatever. If you, like you talked about Joel and Palmer's analysis on the F1, there's a YouTube channel called Driver 61 by a guy who's a professional race driver. He does great analyses as well. And his analysis, one of them was Max was around the outside and Max never got in front. And the expectation that everybody in our industry, i.e. every racing driver has, you're going around the outside, you could get pushed wide. And if you're not in front, you kind of got to back out or something's going to come together. I think Martin Brundle, I believe he said it like, you ought not to be coming together every time you try to pass each other. So I don't think Lewis or Max has learned anything from this at all. The interesting outcome is, you know, Max had nothing to lose because he comes out better. Tell me more about that. Oh, that sounds familiar. This is like 1996-esque Michael Schumacher hitting Damon Hill. So Lewis scored no points. Verstappen scored no points except for the sprint race. And that means that Verstappen is still ahead by five points. And it's kind of a zero-sum game. Like, the opportunity to score points was removed from each of them. So it just neutralized. It was basically a virtual safety car for the championship, effectively. I agree with what Gareth said there. It was definitely like a net gain for Max in the driver championship. But I don't know, if I'm Red Bull, maybe he would have had a chance to pass Lewis at some point out somewhere else on the track. I mean, he had still shown good pace. And Potentially like, on like corner three where he's, yeah. he's got race pace right. and temper tires up to temperature. Yeah. Yeah. And then if that happens, then maybe he gets by him and they get to close the gap at the constructors. Right. And then like from the team's perspective, that's where the money gets paid is on that championship. Like we as fans don't tend to focus on it as much, but you know, there's a good few million dollars difference between finishing first and finishing second. You know, is all this going through Lewis's head at that time? Probably not. But I think we've already established that, Red Bull doesn't give a flip about winning the Constructors' Championship this year. 
it'll be nice to have. But from everything we've seen in terms of like, you know, pitting Sergio Perez to remove the extra point from Lewis for fastest lap, I think, was that Hungary? Yeah. yeah. But finish outside the points, like clearly Red Bull only cares about the driver's championship and the constructors will be nice to have. So I don't think that plays into it, but it's not a bad outcome for Max. Sochi's a track that you can do a little bit of passing on, potentially. And that also depends. Red Bull's going to have to introduce the fourth engine. There's conversations as to whether or not they actually introduce the fourth engine at Sochi, where he's already got a penalty anyway. You may as well take all the pain at once. Yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, there's something there. I look at this and I think, you know what, if we want drivers to race a little bit, and racing requires taking some of the risks, you know, this was a racing incident. This was a risk. It isn't a slam dunk that he should have laid off. I mean, we'll get on the the, the steward sewer later. But Phil, does that, does that just encourage people to have all these very marginal racing incidents where they take themselves and the other person or the other person out? Okay, but let me ask you the opposite side of that is, you know, if we penalize people for taking the risks and the chances where they are, you know, are we just going to end up with processional racing, which is what we've had periodically in years with the stewards have gone after them. Are we penalize somebody for taking a smart risk or a stupid risk? Well, you're using a subjective point of view as to whether that was a smart risk or a stupid risk. It is. It's completely subjective. But there are risks that are smarter to take than certain other risks. Like, where do you want to draw the line? I mean, I'm trying to think of this as Liberty Media, right? And is it great racing if we're seeing racers take each other's out. Oh, Liberty Media loves this. I don't know, man. Like, at some point, it just gets boring when great racers are taking each other out, right? Like, you're not seeing racing. But we had great racing, and we've got a giant controversy that continues on to the next race. I, I'm with I'm with you, Gary. I think Liberty is absolutely loving this. Yeah. They got out of the race more drama between their two highest profile drivers. They ended up with a non-Mercedes, non-Red Bull one two the first one two of the year yeah, yeah i mean this was like i would think one of the dream outcomes for liberty coming out of this race right i know one wants to see the the hamverbot podium every time right like this was great this was entertaining and you know i think it, it checked a lot of boxes the views expressed are those of the flipping f1 panel and do not reflect <laughs> those of the liberty media lawyers if you're listening to this these guys aren't lawyers right now fuck off i'm not licensed to practice on the internet i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah i'm not a licensed to practice wherever they're looking for representation either but you know it was very entertaining that's what i'll say and you know i guess it looks like sochi may not be a race where they have another chance to come together but we know it's going to happen again at some point before the end of the year they will have to pass each other on track. Great competitors always come together somehow. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, if you look back in history, whether you've got Schumacher and Hill or Villeneuve and Schumacher or... Senna and Prost, Rosberg, Hamilton, Mansell, Senna. This is what racing is, right? Yeah. If you've got two people that are functioning at the height of their game, they're competing like mad, they're going for the same goal, they're going to take risks, you know... You're going to have coming together. This is what ends up happening in racing. And it's a yeah. sign of a good year. It's not a sign of what we've had for multiple times out of the Mercedes side of things since Bottas has joined, where unfortunately, and, and all due respect to Valtteri, but, you know, he's pretty much being told, you're number two, be stationary to Hamilton. Yeah, unless you're ahead, in which case, you know, well, you can go on to win. Or Hamilton's close enough to you. Like, I think Mercedes kind of fluffed the strategy in the sprint race that way. So there's an interesting prediction, boys. Where does this thing come together again, right? It's clearly not going to happen at Sochi, right? Is it Turkey? Is it the States? Is it TBC? 
Uh, that TBC track looks so interesting. There's so many right angles. Right? <laughs> I was like, actually, I just want that one long straight across the top of the T and the B. There's just a little bump. That'd be awesome. I think there's at least one more coming together that's going to happen with these guys. I mean, if we look at it, I think there's going to be one more big calamitous issue when they're this close. As the championship gets further separated or one starts to take a larger lead, it's going to be possibly less likely. But right now, I think we've got one more happening. And I would say it's probably after Turkey. And this is where it gets interesting, right? Because they're talking as though Hamilton may not need to take another engine, which means he may not take the penalty, right? So does that penalty play out really interestingly in Sochi, or what do you think? Merck has a kind of two different strategies. So say Red Bull says, we'll take the engine penalty here, take yep. all the pain at once. Mercedes could say, okay, you know what? We are going to enjoy having Verstappen at least however many positions behind us. And we're just going to go for it to maximize our points. Or they could say, you know what? Let's do it here too, because we think we're going to need it later this year. But at least Max will still be, you know, three places behind us. I don't think they're going to do that though, Gareth, because I, I think we know that Red Bull is going to need to take a fourth engine. I don't see there being a way of them being able to make it with what they've got because of the incidents that have happened. Mercedes isn't in the same situation. I mean, their engines are designed to have gone and, and to have lasted the entire season. So in theory, they'll probably look at it more uh, along the lines of let's capitalize on getting the most number of points right now. You know, mm -hmm. we'll get as however many far ahead of Hamilton as we get. And if we need it in the later on, we'll look at it at that later situation. I don't think this was the one where they will jump on the sword or even should. Does Mercedes have any engine upgrades available to them after this? You can only do quote unquote upgrades for like reliability purposes. Right. I was going to say, I mean, I think... Sochi is a track that has traditionally favored Mercedes. I think they expect that that's one that they're going to have to win if they're going to have any chance of Lewis coming out on top. There must be of the remaining circuits left, and one of you guys can tell me which one it is, but I mean, one of them has to be one where Mercedes is thinking they really have no chance of taking on Red Bull. So I would think if they're going to take that penalty, they'll wait until there, assuming it's not too late in the schedule. So our remaining schedule is actually really interesting. So after Sochi, we go to Turkey, and yeah. that was back on the calendar last year, and it threw up a kind of crazy race for us. And then we're supposed to go United States, Mexico, Brazil. And I don't know if those are firm dates yet. You know, Mexico has historically been a Red Bull track just because it's a you know, tight, twisty track. But we'll see. Brazil has always been a toss-up. The U.S. has been, I think, Mercedes' favorite there. Yeah. But we'll see if we go. And then we've got that great TBC track. And then Saudi Arabia, where we've never been before. And then finally Abu Dhabi, which is always usually pretty boring because Lewis has won the championship by then. You heard it here first, guys. TBC is going to be the outer circuit at Bahrain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I certainly hope it is. I actually uh, yeah. would enjoy that. I think it would be good. Sajir yeah, was a I great race last year. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see that. A night race on what's effectively an oval. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think that if Merck takes a penalty, they take it at the U.S., right? It's not going to be yeah. a track that car does well at, right? It's going to be a ton of traffic. It's going to be a ton mm -hmm. of, of low-speed corners. I don't think that car does well at that track. Plus, you know, Lewis is going to be surrounded by celebrity, and it's just going to be distracting for him all weekend. But he does best when he's surrounded by celebrity and distracted. I don't know about that. We'll see. I think being in the U.S. is a whole different story. Celebrity in Europe and celebrity kind of overseas and in one of the, the other flyaways. Yeah, maybe so, but I don't know, man. Like, 
it, the U.S. seems like it'd be a whole different level of scratch. Yeah, that's kind of how we are in the incident. You know, Phil, let me throw this to you, right? Because how pissed are you? Because you, like me, are a longtime McLaren fan. How pissed are you yeah. that this incident has almost overtaken the real big conversation, which should be, holy crap, McLaren is back. I'm not, <laughs> to be honest with you. Sorry to disrupt that theory. But no, I'm excited and I'm ecstatic that McLaren won, and I think that was important for them. But if you look at it and you think about it, you know, two top-notch drivers took themselves out on that lap, and that's ultimately what gave it to McLaren. Yes, it shows a sign that they're doing well, but they didn't have the outright pace to win this one. So for me, you know, if the story was we had the outright pace to win this, yeah, I'd be with you. Like, oh my God, come on, McLaren, let's go. But they didn't, right? You know, they won this a little bit by luck. We have to admit it. We've seen them always improving. But this is the sign of the hard work that McLaren has put in, that Zach Brown has put in, that the whole team has pulled together to make happen. And I'm more impressed with the story that you know, Ricciardo has actually come to grips with the McLaren, finally. And I think that's the piece there, right? Does this overshadow it? No, I don't think it does. No, I, I gotta disagree with you here, and, and God forbid, I did not expect this to be a debate, but I, I think that it doesn't matter what happens, Ricciardo wins this race one way or another. Max does not pass him on this track. He was on fire. He was keeping the elbows out. I don't think I don't think Max gets him. I disagree. I think Max would have got him. I don't think if so. Max and... Not with a long stop. Oh, it wasn't yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. no way in Guaranteed. the world. How does Max get him? And when? Lap 50, corner one and two. I don't think so. If you want a prediction, there I you think, go. Yeah, I don't think... <laughs> I mean, these aren't predictions, Phil. These are absurd hypotheticals because I agree with Randy. Daniel looked like he was on fire. Yeah, Ricardo had pace on him all day long. And then I think you've got Max distracted by Lewis kind of coming up right behind him, trying to keep his elbows out. And that also stops him from focusing on getting past Danny, who just, you know, shows that he's got pace at the end of the race. I still think this thing ends up as a McLaren win. I don't think it ends up as a McLaren 1-2, but it ends up as a McLaren win one way or another. Oh, I agree, Randy. Unfortunately, we'll never know. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know. You're right, Phil. But it seemed pretty clear to me that Danny had the pace, controlled her from the front the entire way. With the trouble that it seemed like the cars at the front had overtaking each other, I would think that he would have taken it. Now, would Lewis have gotten Lando again? Because I think he had him once before, like all the pit stop drama. Yeah, probably. But still, I think it would have been a 1-3 McLaren finish in the podium. Although, and- remember that Lewis came out behind Lando after that pit stop and had Lewis and Max not come together. I think they would have had a race-long battle together. And Lando may have been able to drive away into the distance. But remember that Lewis had shown the pace to pass Lando, right? Like, I think he had gotten him earlier in the race. Yes, he did. Again, we're, gets, we're talking absurd hypothetical, yeah. hypotheticals well, here. It, it is hypotheticals, but at this point, you know, Lando's on mediums that are, what, a couple of laps old. Lewis is on hards, which is going to get up to temp, but look like they were doing well at Mons in general and, and looked like it was going to be okay. So there's an interesting possible permutation there that... Either the hards really do kind of show up, or they just don't get by them all. And you know, we have more Lewis tire drama. It's uh, yeah. best meme My by tires the way. Are leaving every race in history has Lewis tire, Lewis tire, tire drama. drama. And I think the one other thing we have to raise is the last lap of the race. Both McLarens put in their fastest laps of the race. They were holding in reserve. Yeah, yeah, they were managing tires great during this race. But they were managing tires as well. So I mean, there's yeah. a lot of factors that would have come in. I mean, this happened on, what, lap 26, 27 or something like that? Well, sure. You know? Yeah. 
there's still another 25 laps to go and that's a lot of distance to cover so you you don't know what to say i have only one point for you randy though mclaren is spelled m-c-l-a-r-e-n just yeah, just for your notes that's next fair. time buddy that's fair <laughs> i get it i get it by the way phil what's in a paul ricard Anise, thanks for coming out, folks. <laughs> Randy has been spelling the word safety car for the entire year, S-A-F-E-T-E-Y. So he's at least consistent. Yeah, that's right. I've also been spelling tire in the British sense, so deal with it. That's, uh... <laughs> at least that's a correct accepted spelling. <laughs> Whatever. All right, moving on, Randy. It is what it is. That's why you're the professor and I'm just the host. All right, let's get into kind of just an open session, as I think this cast has always been. Gareth, you had a couple of really interesting questions, so let's talk about that sprint race again. Yeah, I realized this as I was kind of sitting down that day that we have, and how do we feel about this? But we have kind of four distinct people who used to all be one person. We have a first place qualifier, but then you also have a sprint race winner. So Falbot qualified first. He then won the sprint race, but he was not the pole sitter because the pole sitter was not the fastest person and was not the winner of the sprint race because, of course, that's how the grid was set and Valbot had a grid penalty. And then we had a race winner who was none of those people as well. It just kind of boggles the mind, or not boggles the mind, but at least messes up the stats to say, well, the fastest person in the qualifying was not the pole sitter, but also the fastest person in the qualifying was not like the race winner it just it's but i think that's what i like about it it is that it's changing it up you know it's creating some level of variables that we wouldn't normally have had especially at monza which is historically not always the most exciting of races unless a car goes into the gravel traps and causes a, a stoppage and you know somebody else goes on to win so yeah, it's not always the most interesting of races. So having a sprint race there and having all this sort of stuff, it's kind of neat that way. I mean, if you're looking at it from a purist and saying, yeah, well, the stats and everything like that, yeah, I get where it's complicated. But it's interesting. It's creating variables that weren't normally there. I don't know, man. I mean, the sprint race is great. It's fun. It makes a nice thing to watch on Saturday. But I think if the sprint race doesn't happen, we still have a first place qualifier who doesn't sit on the pole. We have a pole mm -hmm. sitter who wasn't fastest. And we have a race winner who is different from all of those people because none of those things were shaken up by the sprint race. Yeah, I agree. I just find the concept of the sprint race... It's a fun distraction, but it's not kind of working for me in terms of it's not qualifying because I think we've all come to view qualifying as this like one lap who can go fast to shoot out. It's grid setting. So maybe my question was, could we at least call the person who is fastest in qualifying the friggin' pole sitter or at least the fastest qualifier? I, I think, you know, you're struggling with the change rather than the fact that it's more interesting for the sport. I mean, it's the same thing happened in the 90s when we changed from the aggregate qualifying pattern, where there were two qualifying sessions, which created even more confusion. At the time, they switched to a single lap shootout. Right? Yeah. And then eventually we switched to this three-step process that we have for the qualifying yeah. anyway. With some interruptions in between. But I mean, the whole premise is how do we create racing that's a little bit more dynamic? And if that's the premise, it did, then, you but, know... Okay, would, would the racing have been a bit more dynamic this week if... Valbot had not had a grid drop. Yeah, but that's, he had to take the grid drop. Where do you take the grid drop? I mean, it's a rule, it's a penalty, right? He had to take the penalty somewhere. 
Yeah, I think the better question is, would the racing have been better if Gasly had been in the place on the grid where he was after the sprint qualifying, right? Because, I mean, you know, that car had some pace. Now, obviously, this weekend it had some technical issues, may not have mattered anyway. But I think what I've seen from sprint quality, the two times we've had it, is you've got no wholesale change in the grid. And as a fan of the sport, I'm enjoying having something to watch on Friday and something to watch on Saturday. I just still don't know if this is it. Like it, it's it's not it's not quite doing it for me yet. It and I, I and I agree with you. Yeah, it's fun, but it's not a huge shakeup. And it is, I think I heard it described as, well, just kind of the first stint of the race where nobody really changes position except whoever ends up in the gravel trap. The boring bit in the middle. Yeah, like if you want to shake it up, right? You run the quality, and that's quality for the race. But for sprint race. You know, you flip a coin and maybe this week it's a reverse grid. Maybe this week it's something else. So we have a big wacky wheel of races. Yeah. Like, and there's just like, it's a fun short race for a couple of points, but it has no bearing on the race itself. Again, if the whole idea is just to bring in some more fans to have some fun with. Have more excitement. The weekends and, and have more racing. Yeah. More excitement. Great. Do that, but make the sprint race its own entity and add some level of randomness to it. And I'm all for that. I just, you know, unless there's something that really does properly shake up the grid, you know, like the sprint race is not doing it. And this is, I think I suggested this after Silverstone, is you take people at a park for May condition after the sprint race, let them make changes, and you've got to do some budgetary stuff with that. Or you follow Lando's suggestion and like just add a new tire to the sprint race that it doesn't factor into the race. Like everybody's got to run on hypersofts or something like that. Or even shorten the sprint race because the sprint race right now is a hundred kilometers, right? Shorten it down to something like five laps, make it a proper sprint because we get this great action. The first couple laps. Yeah, but there's nothing can be accomplished in five laps. You see well, the end of I mean, the, right now the sprint race is really just about that first lap, right? Who gets the best start? What are a couple of things that happen on that first, maybe second lap and that's it. It just ends up being a processional by lap three. At least that's been my observation. So I kind of agree, right? Either shorten it to five laps. I like the idea of a reverse grid for, you know, the sprint race. Let's see what happens when you put the top finishers on the back of the grid and make them chase and make them hunt and make them go racing to see what happens and how they do and how they show their skill. And, you know, through that, yeah, people gain a couple extra points. And if you can hold off the best cars on the circuit, great. You earn those points. If the best cars on the circuit manage to cut through the swath, awesome. Well, they've shown racecraft you just have to make the reward worth it so you're giving out points yep. you're giving out grid positions yeah more work has to be done on the sprint race i think is our uh, conclusion here and we don't agree about how to do more work on it yeah, but please somebody true. fix this we don't agree there's a there's a novelty gareth we don't agree that's fair <laughs> i mean we all agree your new haircut is boss phil it's a hard man haircut because <laughs> i've got hair all right, let's talk silly season, because the worst-kept secret in Formula One has happened. It's great. George is off to Merck, yay. Valbot's found a home, yay. The really interesting stuff is how Albin's back, and, and he's going to be racing. That second AR seat is still open. So let's gab. Spence, start us off, man. Well, i got to say first, happy to see Alex Albin back in Formula One. Really impressed with the reporting that our French friends over at uh, Ken Alpost did a few weeks ago. They called this exactly right. Not normally where I would go for my Formula One rumors and news, but anyway, they really killed it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up in that second seed. It seems like it's more and more likely it's not going to be 
Italian Jeebus. The latest and greatest is that it's going to be the young driver in the, the Alpine Academy, Juan Yujo. He's the, the one who's most likely to get it. I think Alfa Romeo Sauber seeing kind of the commercial upside maybe of having a Chinese driver in that seat, not to mention the fact that he's having an excellent campaign in F2. He had an excellent year last year too. Yeah. He's a talented guy. Yeah, he is for sure. And, you know, he's tested for Alpine by all accounts. It went very well. Not sure how much Ferrari's going to like that, like having an Alpine slash Renault driver uh, driving a car with one of their engines, but I guess we'll see. But this is a year that I think the silly season has shown us that just because you're tied to a certain manufacturer doesn't mean you're not going to go drive somebody else's car. Alex Albon, who a Red Bull driver released, but they have an option. He's driving a Merc next year. So I think it's about people placing drivers and keeping connection to them. Which, I mean, I think is phenomenally interesting. And this is what I brought up in our mural is like, how do you feel if you're Mick right now, right? Like there's an open spot at a, a direct Ferrari feeder. You've been told by Ferrari that you're our guy of the future. And so you're not getting that shot. You're not getting into that Ferrari car and you're stuck in a team that you just don't feel any confidence in. You don't feel great at with a teammate that's basically bought the team and that you're not getting along with. But I don't think Mick's feeling that way. You know, I mean, Mickey is using this year, and he's been very clear with it. And if you've watched his progression in the junior formula, he tends to take a year or two to build his skill set, to craft it himself, to make it work, right? And then sometimes it's actually really good. Build it in a crappy car, because you're actually working harder to maximize that out. I don't think he's going to be particularly upset about that. And I think this was also made by Vassur. They don't have a tie for an engine seat, so to speak. Their contract isn't saying you have to have a Ferrari driver. I think that would make probably Mick feel worse is if you had somebody else, a reserve driver's seat that he didn't get. Right? Then I would see Mick being upset. I don't think he's going to be upset by it. I think he's going to put his head down and make the most of it. I mean, that's what he's, he's a pro at doing. And continue to soundly thump Nikita Mazepin. Somebody's got to. Randy's been calling Haas to move up the grid next year anyway, so they're going to have a much more... <laughs> Who knows? Haas might pull something out of the bag. The views expressed to those of Spencer do not necessarily reflect those of Randy. What, are we losing our sponsorship from Haas machine, machine and Tooling? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we lost Liberty already on this cast. I don't know. To me, I don't see how Mick does well on a team. Like, I kind of get what you guys are saying, but I, is it a bad place for Mick to be, right? Like, I mean, I get that he historically takes his time and and learns the car and learns the craft and does his thing, but he's also dealing with a whole other whack of pressures. I mean, I get it, right? He's a Schumacher. He knows how to deal with adversity, and he's dealt with all kinds of stuff before, but this feels different. I don't know. It hits different to me. He can deal with it. It makes him stronger. Speaking of Schumacher, has anybody watched the Netflix doc? Took my question. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Excellent show. Okay, I watched the trailer, and I was like, I have to steal my partner's Netflix account again and watch this. So yeah. it's fantastic. It's worth watching, Gareth. It is definitely worth watching. Now, it's, that's going to be my, my lead up to the weekend. Yeah, Michael and Ralph's dad on video. And my God, does he look like Michael? Strong family genes. Yeah, that's actually my plan for Sunday. If so, she's super boring, and I'm just going to put it on a small screen and turn on the Schumacher documentary <laughs> and just follow the timing <laughs> screens because, you know, I'm going to be there anyways. I watched it on my first flight in 18 months. And it was an excellent way to kill a couple of hours. As an aside, I watched the race in the States on ESPN. And they play the whole thing 
without commercials, and it was pretty good. As God intended. I liked the race so much, when I got back to Canada, I watched the replay on TSN. You poor bastard. Believe it or not, the Max Lewis incident happened during a commercial. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of That's course. why the hell I was off having a piss. And hence, I don't pay for TSN anymore, so there goes our TSN sponsorship. F1 TV is 140 bucks a year. I don't yeah. have cable. Yep. It's just convenient to watch it on my PVR. I liked boys. We're going for another sponsor. Let's keep doing that. <laughs> we, we may have lost Roger's cable, but F1 TV, come sponsor us. Please, please. For sure. Anything else in the silly season? I think that ARC is all that's left, right? Like, there's nothing more than that. It's, uh... Yeah, I think it's the only the Alfa Romeo seat. Aston Martin's confirmed both their drivers. I mean, there's a big surprise. We knew yeah. Joel was staying there. And from the beginning, we knew that Vettel had at least a second year in the contract. And he's done great this year, yeah. Let me ask that, right? Like, is that brilliant or comfortable? Like, keeping Seb in place. I mean, Seb's started this holistic new brand, and people are loving him, right? He's Saint Seb, which I'm there for. It's great. So let's get into it, because I know you want to go there, Phil. Let's do penalty props and Stuart Sewer. Yeah, I mean, I understand the... The amount of eye-rolling going on for, because <laughs> yeah. we can't see the video right now by Phil. You know, like, I'm seeing the back of his goddamn eyeballs. I'm trying really hard, but I'm trying really hard. No, I am frustrated with the Sewers on this one, I, I have to say. I mean... Kudos to them for one thing. They're being consistently shit, to say the least. It's crap. And, and quite frankly, I know all they're doing is following the rules and reading the rules and making interpretations in live at the moment. But something is wrong when you're saying that a three-place grid penalty is the same as a 10-second race penalty. But that's not a stewarding decision, Phil. That is a rules drafting decision. The stewards are the ones that are having to make it. So we have to talk about it somewhere, Gareth. The stewards have to apply the rules, but yes. the FIA is writing the rules. And the rules aren't right on that, as far as I'm concerned. Let me say that. I, I would agree with you. Well, so tell me what you do instead, Phil. Like, do you give him the 10 second penalty in, like, so he's got to take it sometime in the next race? Like, sure. But you can't give somebody a prospective 10 second penalty for the next race. The, the time penalties and stop goes are kind of, let's call it live race penalties. Yeah, but that's an arbitrary thing that's set in the rules. If you change the rules to say that Well, it's not arbitrary. Could, it's in the rules, Phil. If it's in the rules, it's not arbitrary. Oh, fine. Legal. Okay, fine. All right. It's in the rules. But in reality, if you change the rules to say that you could apply a 10-second penalty in the lap, it's a very different penalty than a three-place grid Three drop. Three-place grid drop. Yes, absolutely. But doesn't that then allow the team to build that 10-second penalty into their strategy, which makes it not really a penalty at all? Sure, but so does every team with every penalty that ever comes. Yeah, you can build a 10-second race penalty into your strategy when you get the penalty in the race. Sure, and if you're telling me that right now Red Bull's not sitting with every damn computer and every engineer and every simulation known to man, what Phil's trying to say is running every combination permutation of three-place grid drop penalty Yeah. to find the optimal solution. Yes, go ahead. Of course they are, right? When you've got a penalty, you try to figure out how to minimize it. But my point is, and this is going to go back to Silverstone, what Hamilton did to Verstappen there, and he didn't get away with it, except he did get away with it because he only got a 10-second stop-go penalty rather than being pushed back. But he back. got a 10-second penalty he was able to overcome because he was still running and he was able to, yeah, win. True. But I mean, what would have been fairer there is to say, okay, but if you're going to apply a grid penalty for those type of situations, then it's a grid penalty. Then he should have got a grid penalty for the next race rather than a stop-go penalty. 
Now, I know this, you're going to have to change the rules to make all that happen, but I don't see it as fair, and it's counterintuitive. We're talking about, you know, we want these guys to race. We don't want them to stand by and, and sort of sit in their positions and hold station because, you know, they're too afraid of a penalty here or there that could be dramatic. Yeah, and that goes back to, okay, that's fine. Just don't drive into each other, or at least try to minimize driving into each other because these two seem to be really good at driving into each other this year. Close championships. So we talked about it. When the championships close between two competing drivers that are not on the same team, this is inevitable. Concur. So make it more interesting and fun. And, you know... To solve F1, Phil proposes rewriting the rules. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> While we're at it, we'll put in reverse grids and uh, everybody is happy. And we'll put in Randy's big wheel of F1 uh, Jeopardy. There it is. <laughs> I tell you, man, it, it'd be great. You know, Snakes and Ladders F1. I think we got a board game just on the way here. So everybody has to pit sometime between lap 10 and 20. Get out of the car, spin the giant wheel, see what happens, and then go do that. Yep. Great. <laughs> Comedy show. Oh, I, I love it, right? You must do a shoey is like one of the wedges on the thing. And so half the drivers thrown up. It's great. Italian Jeebus got uh, a penalty point for his first lap collision with Saints. What do you think? He rejoined the track in an unsafe manner. Boom. All right. Pretty cut and dried. Stewart's got that one right. And Akon for not leaving room for Sebastian. Yeah. I mean, I think it's another race where everybody hits Seb Vettel. So, yeah. Right? I was like, I swear, I want the internet to come with the somebody on the radio talking to Seb. But it's like the cuts from Days of Thunder. Like, I want you to go out and hit the pace car. Why? Because <laughs> you hit everything else. <laughs> Are people old enough on this podcast to have seen Days of Thunder? I don't know. I mean, I think I saw it once. I don't know. We're down to two viewers now. <laughs> so, uh... Well, and speaking of which, I mean, so Perez gets a penalty for going off and rejoining. And this one, I swear, I mean, why the hell wouldn't you just give the places back? Red Bull strategy mistake that cost them a place in the points for that place. I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Really? Like, like it was cut and dry to me. I, I don't know what the hell. To me, it's like, you got an advantage. Get out of the way. What the hell? What are, you, what are you thinking? Yeah. Don't try to fight about it later with the stewards. Yeah. Give it back because you're faster than President Leclerc. Yeah. And he ends up losing a place to, I think, signs at the end yeah. of it there. Which is a penalty working the way it's supposed to, right? That works out for the constructors. Yeah. and But still, like... So Red Bull fluffed that bit, and that goes back to, I, I really think Red Bull is like, yeah, not really caring about the constructor points. Well, the last one, and I just got to mention it because this is my favorite self-own of ever. Mazepin got a point on his penalty license for taking out his teammate, which is awesome. Finally. <laughs> Didn't take anybody else. He took out his teammate. Like, wow. Like, at what point do you just say, this guy does not belong on this grid? And this is not me bullying Mazepin. Like, that's just dumb. He doesn't seem to be of a similar caliber to the rest of the drivers. Like, at least we saw Mick able to dice it up at Hungary with other drivers. It, it, like, he just, he doesn't seem to belong there. I think it stops when daddy stops with money. Oh, the good old paid driver argument. So let's go whinge or win. Gareth, give me your impressions of this weekend and the future of the sport. Okay. Anybody who grew up in Ontario will be familiar with this, but sing it with me. 
Everyone loves McLaren. There it is. There we go. Everybody super happy for McLaren. The race, their YouTube channel had a great video about it's taken them since 2018 to come back from this. And Zach Brown's leadership plus the smart hires and the culture change has finally come to fruition. So great. My kind of future of the sport thought, does Mercedes-Benz and Lewis have any response to this? And by this, I mean being down and being soundly beaten by both Red Bull and McLaren. Maybe they're going to bounce back at Sochi. Who knows? Speaking of Sochi, I mean, Sochi, Snorchi, it is such a boring race. I usually actually end up turning it off. But let's Formula One prove me wrong. Like, throw up something that's going to be fun. Please, for the love of God. Maybe all of a sudden they'll put the last sprint race there. <laughs> hey, there we go. It's that reverse grid that Phil's wanted. And then uh, finally, and this has bugged me about Monza for years. There is unpainted plywood around some of the turns at Monza. Could you throw a fucking coat of paint on it? It looks like shit. It really does. It's like plywood that's been out in the sun for like five years. Spruce up the place. But how do you get past the historical society? Oh, it's <laughs> Italy. Everything is a historical society, Randy. So you want to give us your winter win? I mean, I think we've talked a lot about what I had written here already. Bali is okay, but it needs some tweaking. Merck's going to win in Sochi. I think that's a foregone conclusion. I think Danny Rick would have won anyway. The one thing that I think is worth discussing, and I'd be interested in your view, is I'm wondering if McLaren is about to really open up a lead on Ferrari and just leave them for dead in the constructor. I think so. Not a chance. Ferrari seems to run like the electrics on an Italian car, like very much hot or cold. And they're just, some tracks, they show up and they are on it. Yeah. And other weekends, they show up and they're just like, yeah, seventh. That's great. So potentially, if McLaren can keep the form in check and be solid, yeah. Cars aside, I put Lando and Daniel up against, you know, and I love Leclerc. I, I love the way he drives. I love what he brings to the track. But I, I'll put those two up against Leclerc and Saints any day and take McLaren nine times out of ten. Really? I think those drivers are dead nuts even. Yeah. I agree. I was going to say, I think it's yeah. a fairly close match. I don't think that McLaren's going to pull away from Ferrari. I think Ferrari's got answers on some of the tracks, especially when we look at the tracks coming up. I think they've got to have some of the edges. Well, I mean, it's not going to be this week coming up in Sochi, right? No. I mean, I would think that's going to be another place where McLaren with that Mercedes PU in the back is going to do a little bit of damage, put more space between them and Ferrari. After that, who can say? Uh, this is going to get interesting in the box box bingo then, because I might start asking about this. Is that McLaren Ferrari battle? I like this battle, right? And, and we'll see what AT does kind of right in behind them. I think that's who's right in behind them. Is it Sorry, Al Alpine oh, is sitting fifth. Yeah. 11 points ahead of Alpha Tauri. Awesome. Phil, give me yours, your winter wow for the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. McLaren took the weekend away. It was awesome to see them back. And I think that was the highlight of this race that we had. In terms of. Monza itself. This is two races in succession where we've had a not normal, shall we say, race victory. Unusual for Monza for sure, because Monza is usually fairly processional, as we've talked about. Oh. So I'd like to see that keep going next year, but we'll see what happens. As for the future, uh, I saw this meme and I thought this was priceless. Best meme of the week, by the way. Best meme of the week. Somebody posted Hamilton won Silverstone, Verstappen won Zandvoort. Ricardo, who's half Italian, won at Monza. So does this mean Mazepin wins Sochi? <laughs> 
I'm burning the place down if it happens, man. I mean, we all know, and I'll say it first here, no, he will not win. I mean, given the amount of elections that Vlad Putin has rigged, he'll try to rig the race, too. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Then we will have a steward sewer happening completely devoted just to one race. Oof, I can't even imagine. And I think that that's what Sochi's going to be like, man. I think it's just going to be a mess yeah. that way. But, well. So how about you, Randy? What do you have? I'm going to say holy moly McLaren, but not just for this win, but what I've been loving all week long is seeing the true commitment to diversity that Zach Brown has put into this team, right? There are women strategists right throughout the team. There are people of color right through the team. And it, it has shown that, like, man, that, that can really make a difference. And, and there's new perspectives coming in. There are people who are not traditional race engineers on that team. And it really is something special. And they've built something special. And I really do think that we're going to see a lot of continued McLaren success. I'm really excited about that. You know, my thought about Monza, and it, again, is a thought that I've had a long time, right? Talking about the future of the sport, right? Like, is there a way to make DRS more interesting, right? So avoiding DRS trains at Monza's or other tracks like that, because the straights are the fun. That's where the passing is supposed to happen, and it's where cars have a real chance to show off. I don't know if it's about placing the zones differently. I don't know if it's about doing something different, but I think that's one of those places where certain tracks, DRS is no longer doing what it was meant to do in the first place. And I loved it when they first introduced it, but now it's hit a point where it is very much the same thing happening again. I will say future of the sport thing that's really kind of bugging me is Rivalry is fun, but vitriol is not, especially these days. You know, we talked about the best meme that came up, but somebody at, at Flippin' F1 forwarded me a meme that I was just utterly disgusted by. Somebody had basically transposed Max's head onto Derek Chauvin's and Lewis's head onto George Floyd's. And it was like, this shit is uh. wrong. Like, just outright wrong. Like, that vitriol, like, rivalry is fun. I get it, right? Like, we do it on this podcast. You feel you and I go off on, you know, our respective guys, and we meet in the middle with yeah. McLaren, and we kind of know, and we have these conversations on our text chat, things like that. And that's all great. But, like, when it comes to straight-out vitriol, which I've seen a lot of this season especially, and during these times, like, it just has no place in our sport. Really has no place in, in any sport, but most definitely not ours, in society, anywhere, yeah. Yeah. As for what we're going to see in Sochi, I think we're going to see Valbot's Revenge, right? Sochi is a Merc track. But it's, Val a track. It's, it's a track. It's a Valbot track. It's actually a Valbot track. It's a Valbot track, yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I think we're just going to see Valbot do what Valbot does and save for reliability issues or maybe, maybe a team order, which could come through. But I think, you know... If Lewis is anywhere close, there will be a team order. Will Valtteri listen? question mark let's just leave that hanging. you know out. and you know me right i am a lewis fanboy but i don't want valtry to listen like this is his track just let him have the damn thing because there's nothing better than a finn winning in russia right it's like the only thing they respect <laughs> so like sorry to the russian government the views expressed are not anyways andy's views certainly not the rest of the views of anybody else on this call all right but like i mean i think there's a lot to be seen at sochi and i think you know, what we've seen from years before is the midfield battles are where it's going to be at again. And I think there's a lot of great midfield battle where right? we've talked McLaren, Ferrari, Alpine is up there. I think Aston is going to show up. And I think there's this backmarker battle that's happening between AR, Williams, and Mick. I won't say Haas, but Mick, that 
you know, is also going to be a little bit of fun and a little bit racy there as well. So there could be some interesting racing if those things come together. And we'll see. And, and again, I mean, I think grid penalties are going to play a role. And that'll be fun between Verstappen and Hamilton and yada, yada, yada. And really don't care about the front next weekend. I'm actually really looking from the middle beyond just because I, mean, I think that's where the fun is right now until this thing starts to get to the end. That's kind of where I'm at on my Winger win. And so with that, we end another edition of Flip It F1. That Flip It F1 is brought to you by our usual panel of guys. Professor, say goodnight. Goodnight. Gareth, say goodnight. Goodnight. Andrew, are you there? Oh, geez. Goodnight, guys. <laughs> and of course, I'm your host at most, Randy, saying goodnight as well. Flippin' F1 is edited by Eric Weltman, who suffers long but gets us through this thing. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next race.